0: We're going to start in the book of Hebrews this morning. This is my dad's fault. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. This is uh, as we are traveling verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Uh, God spoke to me just, you know, in preparing and studying. and Just this whole idea. When we talk about the book of Revelation the first words are this is the revelation of jesus christ our god our savior jesus is unveiling and revealing himself to us so i've had in my mind is every time i'm studying every time i'm preparing the thoughts of my heart what i want to know is lord for this morning for this passage what is this telling all of us about you last week you know so i i'm, I'm Titling every single sermon. It's got something to do with Jesus. So last week was Jesus and repentance because that is a thrust of what is being communicated uh, through the passage that we covered last week, through the entire document of Revelation, that Jesus is looking for us to repent. And again, it's this idea that we are turning to him and allowing him to transform us and reclaim us and repurpose us. These are ideas that we're going to be talking about today. But in that... Idea is we're looking in this morning's passage, we're looking at Jesus and his word. And the Bible defines for us that Jesus is the word of God. And John chapter 1 defines Jesus as the very word, the word of God personified. Now, we believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't add a fourth person of the Trinity and and make the Bible a deity. However, where are these words sourced from? Let's say, if you want to know who God is, and if you want to know who you are, you want to know his plans, his purposes, it's this document. And he will powerfully speak to you if you turn in and attend to him. We're looking at Hebrews 4 this morning, because again, it brings up this whole idea in defining. The action of the word of God. But my dad's brought this up a couple of times when I told him what we were going to be talking about today. He mentioned this yesterday. But in your, in your Bibles, there's usually they're divided into different chapters, verses. There's other sections that man has added to it. These are called pericopes in the bold type. My bold type says that the word discovers our condition. So think about that as a human author has put that in here. Now listen to these words as we talk about the Word of God this morning, that the Word of God, it's living. These words, these aren't just black and white, you know, black letters on white pages. These are words that are sourced from the being who created the heavens and the earth. These, these words, they're alive, they have power. They have a purpose. The word of God is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit. How do you, how do you divide you, mind, body, soul, spirit? The word of God penetrates to that level of distinction and division seeking out our condition and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And those can be very comforting words, and they can be very um, discomforting words, depending on your, your relationship with your creator. We're going to sit in this idea in the just the power of his word, the purpose of his word, but this idea that his word discovers our condition. What's the condition of your soul this morning? You don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell anybody else. But some of you are in the, the condition of your soul. You were filled with joy and praise and peace and gratitude others of you the condition of your soul is you you are in misery and you were in darkness and you were in rebellion and for others it's somewhere in between you might be a totally mixed bag this morning and again the word god's word promises where the where the condition that you find yourself in today god knows god cares And he is here to speak, he is here to direct, he is here to transform according to his plans and purposes in your life for how he created you in this moment, where he's going to lead you in the future. These are ideas that we're going to be sitting in today. So now, turn to Revelation chapter 10, and a lot of this will make sense in the background as we travel through what is being discussed in this section. So if you remember, we are in the middle of what is referred to as the trumpet judgments. There are seven angels that are sounding these trumpets at the sound of each one of the trumpets. A a judgment is being poured out, so to say, by God upon humanity that is in the position of rejecting him. Last week in chapter 9, the fifth and sixth trumpets, they're defined specifically as these incredible woes. There, what we covered last week, it's one of the horrific sections of God's word. And as we were in, as we were in the men's study on Wednesday night, we're going through the gospel of Luke, and there was a sentence that just, it just nailed me right, right in the heart. It says, God is kind to the unthankful and evil. As we sit, as we sit in the horror of what we covered last week, where God is allowing demons' authority to possess human beings in a way to harm them and torture them as a judgment. And it's exposing the condition of the human heart because at the end of uh, the chapter last week, the, the condition is human beings, as they were confronted by the truth of who God is, they refused to repent. They refused to turn away from their idols. They refused to turn away from their plans, their ideas, It's this this picture that we get of the hardness, of how hard the human heart can be when we are confronted by our creator. And all of us, every single, we know exactly what it's like to be confronted by God and to be confronted by his truth and to have a hard heart and say, God, I'm going to do it my way anyways. I'm going to go figure this out on my own. We all know what it's like. The word discovers our condition. The Lord is looking for us to turn into him and pay attention to his words and to his voice as we talk about the word of god this morning we are not talking about some religious cliche we want to really sit in the source and the power behind the words that he has spoken because again it's the descriptions that we have of god's word this morning ought to cause us to tremble in joy and rejoicing and in reverence before the Creator. And this is what we're going to sit in this morning. So chapter 10 of Revelation. John's vision continuing. He says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. "'The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land "'raised up his hand to heaven "'and swore by him who lives forever and ever, "'who created heaven and the things that are in it, "'the earth and the things that are in it, "'and the sea and the things that are in it, "'that there should be delay no longer. "'But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel,' When he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So here we are. There's 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 patterns in Revelation, and one of the patterns is in between the sixth and seventh, whether it's the uh, the seals, the trumpets, or the bulls. There's these interludes where a lot of other information is being conveyed. So now, after the sixth trumpet has been blown, in the flow of the document, there is this interlude. This. Further information is being communicated. Some of the chronology can be hard. Some of the imagery can be difficult. But again, these overarching themes is what we're trying to focus on as we travel through Revelation. We're going to get into, there's a lot of activity in the next few chapters uh, before we even get to the seventh trumpet. So here in this interlude, John, this vision is progressing, and John sees another angel. And this other angel has all of the characteristics of God. Now, this isn't God. This is not Jesus. This is an angel. Very clearly, John knows what an angel is. He knows he's identifying the different characters in this vision that he has seen. But this angel this mighty being is given descriptions that are given to God because, again, this being is imaging God, and he is imaging God's voice to us. So this vision that John sees, there is this, and again, we don't know the size of this being, but he says he's got his one foot and is is in the ocean and the sea, and the other foot's on land. Now, they're big waves, so this guy's really big, and He's able to make that spread really easy. Is the ocean nice and calm, and you can just have your feet apart by six inches? Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The imagery is what's important. Because this being is coming down, and he's clothed in a cloud. And this is imagery from the Old Testament, how God covers himself in a cloud. He covers his glory. This being is imaging God's glory, and he's clothed in the same cloud that God is clothed in. That imagery of a rainbow. What is, what is a rainbow? Why did God give to us the rainbow? It is a promise. It is a sign of a covenant that God gave to man that he would not destroy the world by a flood so that every time that it rains, we'd be reminded that it's, the whole world is not going to be flooded in judgment. Yet, what is going on in this passage? Judgment. It's to remind us of the promise of who God is as, as a judge. It's to remind us of what God did at that time in judging humanity and the promise of the future judgment that he is going to bring in the, in the midst of this vision that he is bringing. This is the imagery that's being conveyed. We see a lot of language, and we're going to see this more and more, the description of God as the creator of the heavens, God is the creator of the earth. God is the creator of the sea. We're going to see in the next chapter that there is a beast that is going to come out of the bottomless pit. It's identified as Satan. There's a beast that is going to come out of the sea. It's identified as the Antichrist. There is a beast that is going to come out of the land. It's identified as the false prophet, and we'll get into all of that imagery. But what God is focusing on is his created order is broken. But in its brokenness, he is still Savior, he is still King, he is still Redeemer. And here you have this being who is coming down in the image of God to image God to his creation. And as this being roars, as this being speaks, we are told that there are these seven thunders that utter, that voice back to the angel... And John's getting ready to write down what these seven thunders say, and we're going to get into all this imagery in a minute, and God says, don't write it. Why did you even tell us about it in the first place? I don't know. This angel is holding a little scroll in his hand that is open. Is this the same scroll that Jesus opened in chapter 6 as he is opening the seals of the scroll? It could be, but it's given a different description. This is a little scroll. Is it only a segment of it? What is written in this scroll? We don't have a clue. What did the seven thunders say in return? We don't have a clue. So what is being conveyed to us? There's a whole bunch about God and his plans and his purposes that are none of our business. And what position are we left in? God, I trust you. And we're going to get in that idea. What, What does it mean to trust these words? How does, that, how does that play out in our lives? We're going to hold on to the seven thunders. We're going to go back into a psalm that gives us a definition to that. A couple of times already in this document, the Holy Spirit has been, it's, he's been called the seven spirits of God. The number seven being this idea of fulfillment, of completion. Um, Isaiah 11 gives us the definition for these seven attributes of the Holy Spirit as we sit in the word of God today my understanding is these seven thunders this is the voice of God now when we talk about the voice of God again there's there's sections in the Bible you sit with uh, Elijah there was a time when you know there's a major storm there's an earthquake and this question keeps on being asked you know is the voice of the Lord in the fire in the earthquake in the storm and no, And God speaks to Elijah with a still, small voice. There's a time where God's voice is very quiet, very peaceable, where he captures our attention in tenderness. The description that we have of God's word this morning is in its power. How many of you guys like thunderstorms? I, I love the thunderstorms we have here. They, I, and every time I hear the boom of thunder, I'm always in awe. But when you hear a thunderstorm rolling in, you can, often you can hear thunder rolling in the distance, right? The description that we have of God's word is as this voice of God is thundering. How many of you have had that moment where the cloud and the light of lightning and the sound of the thunder is all instantaneous? Where the hair on the back of your neck just rose up and you were praising God that you were still alive because you felt like that bolt just hit right there. Have you ever felt that kind of power? That's the description and the weight that God's word ought to have in our life. Even as Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet in this position of devotion to listen to him as a teacher, that the weight that we need to put upon God's word is is just like that power from a storm is it booms into our mind and in our soul, because he faithfully speaks to us every day if what? We tune in. How many of you know how a radio works? Anybody? I don't have a clue. I'm I'm speaking right now, and as I am mind, body, and spirit, I'm shoving air over my vocal cords, which are vibrating, which are putting sound waves into whatever, into the firmament, so to say. Your eardrums are vibrating, they're picking up the signal, sending some electrical signal into your brain, and your brain is interpreting the language that I'm speaking because we all agree to the definitions of the words that I'm speaking. A radio, you have the choice of what voice you want to listen to, right? You have the choice of what wavelength you want to listen to. And you can bring it into modern times, a website or an app. You are choosing the address of what you want to listen to. So how many voices are out there competing for your attention every single day? The whole spectrum of sound. You think about a radio dial as you seek different radio stations. When you land on one station, you are only getting the content of that station to the exclusion of everything else, right? And this is the idea when it comes to the word of God. Dialing it, dialing your attention, dialing your mind, dialing your heart to listen to these words and allow God to speak to you in a still, small voice and allow God to boom into your soul. Who controls the dial? You do. It's your choice on what voice you want to listen to. We're going to get into all those descriptions too. Seven thunders thundering. So this angel is standing on the sea, the land. He is... This is where we get, place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand to God. And you make an oath, you are connecting yourself to the word of God and its truth. And you are raising up your right hand and promise to the creator of the heavens and the earth that you are that you are linked up to him and that the testimony that you're gonna bear is in regards to truth. This is the imagery that we get from this. And here this angel is raising his right hand to God and he is swearing by the being, By him who lives forever and ever, the one who created heaven, he created the earth, he created the sea, he created everything in it. God is the creator. We have not evolved. We are specifically created. And what is he proclaiming? The time is up. How many of you are ready to meet God face to face? How many of you you just, you just... Kind of sick of being here. Sick of dealing with you. You're sick of dealing with the person next to you. You're sick of politics. You're sick of, you know, there's sometimes you just want to throw your hands up. Lord, I'm ready to get out of here. Why does He keep you here? What's He doing with you? How's He revealing Himself to you? How's He transforming you? How's He using you? Don't be in a hurry. We're going to have all eternity in his presence. Why is God patient? Why is God waiting? Because there's others that need to hear the gospel. There's others that need to bend the knee. There's others that need to surrender. I'm still in process. I I want grandkids. Jesus can come today. I'm cool with that. I want grandkids. I want great grandkids. I want as many souls in eternity. Whatever number he's got, if he wants to tarry another thousand years, if he wants my permission, it's fine by me. I don't even know why I said that. Where are we? Oh, time's up. <laughs> time's up. When the seven, listen, when this seventh trumpet is going to sound, it says that the mystery of God is finished. When you look at the word mystery in the Bible, it's not dealing with something that's hidden and unknown that you can go investigate and figure out. A mystery in the Bible, it's something that's without God unveiling and revealing, it is unknowable. The being who created the heavens and the earth, he is unknowable unless he reveals himself to us. His plans and his purposes and the, the, just the economy of life and, and who you are, why you exist, what's going on in your context, the condition of your soul today and tomorrow and where it's been historically. All of these things are... are um, unless we have his voice and his revelation... There's so many things that are unknowable. and the New Testament, that the Gentiles are grafted into the Jewish kingdom of God is a mystery. It's something that was unknown in God's plan and purposes from the beginning of time, but unknown to the Jews in many ways culturally because they just didn't pay attention to the word of God because... It was described in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to go and gather in the Gentiles also, but that's the, the, the idea of the mystery that the Gentiles are part of the kingdom of God and have been brought in through faith in Jesus Christ. There's the mystery of Christ, just who the Messiah is that has been unveiled to us and revealed to us in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. It talks about the mystery of faith. Why is it that... If you believe that Jesus is the almighty God who became a man, lived, died for your sins on the cross, rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, is on the throne right now, is coming back in all of his glory with his kingdom. If you believe that, you have his eternal life, the mystery of faith, and just trusting in who he is and his grace and his mercy. There's these mysteries, and here we're told, at the sounding of that seventh trumpet, the mystery of God is complete. Those things that he has revealed, and those things that he has spoken to his prophets, given his word into their mouths, just like this document that we are reading right now, Revelation is a prophecy. Everything is going to be fulfilled and wrapped up. Jesus says every, every single promise that God has given is going to be fulfilled, Period. All of them. And this is what we trust, and this is what we believe, and this is what is being declared. Now, when it comes to this idea of prophecy, that Jesus, God has declared to his servants, the prophets in the Old Testament context, New Testament context, here to John, uh, John being told himself that as he is consuming the word, he is consuming it in a way to go and, and meditate on it and go and give it to others, that there are other nations and kingdoms and peoples and kings that need to hear these prophetic words, whether it's telling about the future or it's just declaring truth, that's what prophecy is. But we're going to be told later on in Revelation, Revelation 19.10, the witness, the testimony of Jesus Christ, it's the spirit, it's the breath, it's the wind of prophecy. The whole purpose of God declaring anything is so that we would know him, so that we would know who Jesus is. All of the promises of God are in Jesus, yes and amen. He is the word of God. He is the source of all of this information. And what he speaks is not a lie. What he speaks is true. And everything is going to be fulfilled. And again, this angel is declaring this to John in this vision. And it leaves us with a wonder. Is this going to be a declaration to humanity At that same time, is John just seeing something in the vision or is he seeing an action in the future that humanity is going to be aware of, not just in word, but in in deed? This idea of consuming the word of God, God tells Ezekiel to do the same thing in Ezekiel's chapter 2 and 3. So Ezekiel chapter 1, incredible vision of God, the glory of God in chapters 2 and 3 of Ezekiel as he's being commissioned as a prophet and being sent to the people, God tells him to consume the words to become what you think of this is eastern table fellowship where what you what you eat is what you become when you break bread with another person across the table for you from you you are consuming the same food you are becoming one with each other this is the idea that God is conveying as John is to consume the word he's becoming one with the word of God and it's not just to be this personal sweet satisfaction as we like we meditate on the wonderful promises of god we just sat in a, a miserable passage of god's word last week where it's horrific where it's bitter and it's the word of god can be a lot sweeter when you just keep it to yourself but when you have to go and convey it to somebody else does it become a lot more does it become a lot less palatable does that make sense Does God ever direct you to go and tell somebody, you know what, you are going to step into an eternity of hell if you do not respond to Jesus? That's a bitter word. There's hope, there's sweetness, because if that soul repents, if you look to Jesus for life and salvation, how sweet it is to know him. If that person rejects and remains in their sin, bitter if you have have you ever had any family members or friends that you're unsure of where their spirit is whether their spirits is in torment or in paradise those are those are those are hard thoughts they're easier to meditate on personally in our mind but when we have to go and convey those things to other people Becomes a lot more difficult. How do, how do I convey this reality? If you do not turn to Jesus as your God and as your Savior, you will live forever in separation from His light, His beauty, His glory, His love. How do I say those things in a way that that person's going to hear me? I have no idea. This is how we depend upon the Holy Spirit. This is why I prayed that God would give you the ears to hear His voice this morning and what He wants you to hear. Now we're going to go spend some time defining this in the Old Testament. Turn to Psalm 29, and this gives us some definition to these seven thunders. But as we talk about the Word of God, here's, here's reality. We're going to read a song right now. We're going to read a couple of songs. There's a guy, his name's David. This guy lived 3,000 years ago. He was an absolute nobody. Just a guy, just a shepherd, out in the wilderness, but God had a plan and a purpose for his life. Listen to this, just think, we're we're sitting in words that are 3,000 years old, and the reason that we have them is because of the relationship that this man, David, had with his creator. David took the time to tune his dial, to tune his mind, his heart, into who God is. And as he sat and as he meditated and he's, you know, playing his instrument, he's coming up with a tune, he's he's writing lyrics down. God is there interacting with him in his mind, in his soul, in his spirit, as he's writing these things down, revealing to him the nature and character of himself and of his word and preserving these things so that we can sit in these definitions for us today so that we can wonder at the power of God's word along with David. Listen to this. Psalm 29, come unto the Lord, give unto the Lord. And literally, come on. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, literally, O you sons of God, talking to the angels. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. How do you give God glory? How do you give God anything? And again, it's a submission of your mind, it's a submission of your light. All glory, all weight, all opinion, all power, it's His. Give it to Him. He is the source. It all belongs to him. Given to him the glory. My translation says due to his name, what is owed to his name. The literal Hebrew is give, uh, given to the Lord the glory of his name. His name is glorious. Come on recognize it understand bow down worship the lord in the beauty of holiness and this idea is being just adorned in god's holiness think about you got you got dressed today you adorned yourself and in your clothes and your jewelry this as you come to the lord let let your mind and your soul be adorned In his holiness, in his righteousness, in his love, his personality, his characteristics, as you bow down before your creator. And here's these seven ideas in regards to God's voice. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. And literally, that when it comes to voice, it's the noise of God, the, the constant din, that his voice, as he has spoken, God's voice is constantly out there. The radio signals, they're constantly out there. All you need to do is dial yourself into him. And if you dial your mind and your heart to him, he will faithfully speak to you day in and day out. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. And this imagery goes back to creation where you have the spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. The God of glory thunders. Again, this, is, this, is, this, is, this ought to set you back in your chair in regards to the language. This isn't to be light and fluffy and tender. This is power. And whatever his power is, the description that we are being given is God was hovering over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. His voice boomed. And light was. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the idea is it's physically powerful, not just an idea, but his voice affects us physically, mentally, in all that we are as his creatures. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of, of majesty. You think, and, and when we talk about majesty in our culture, you know, you think of kings, you think of queens, you think of somebody coming out in all their regalia, and their, in their jewelry, and their crown, and then their, the train of their robe, and all this, All this imagery, right? That imagery is nothing in comparison to God's creation, is what he tells us. The greatest way that we can adorn a human being is nothing in comparison to the flower that you can go outside and examine. But God's word is adorned and all the complexity that we see in God's creation. His word is adorned with all of that complexity, with all of that majesty, with all of that splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. And this is the cedars of Lebanon. These These are a famous forest of the day. Um symbol of wealth, symbol of strength. Today in our culture if you think of the redwoods of California where these trees are so massive that they can be hollowed out and you can drive a car through one of these trees and you think about the voice of God can splinter an object like it. How powerful is a tree? All right, I mean, we live in a forest. Go and go and go punch a tree stump when you leave church and see how it feels. Go, go speak to that. Go blow on it and see what the power of your voice does. Nothing. Again, just we're sitting in a description of the intelligence, wisdom, love, power, all of the attributes that, that God has revealed himself to be to us. This is, this is the force of the words that he has spoken into his creation so that his creation would know him as creator. The voice of the Lord splinters, shatters, breaks the cedar. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. You think of the wind just blowing through the trees as these tree branches, you know, they sway back and forth. If, if you've ever been around baby animals, baby farm animals, have you ever seen a, cap, a calf, a baby cow skipping around? Just totally random, right? Back and forth, just having fun. God's voice. It's just like that in the tree, like his powers just move. His, the power of his voice causes our soul to even dance. Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. Again, this is all imagery from the culture of the day. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Talking about that earlier, that the Lord's word divides, even to the division of our soul and spirit. Here, this description, divides the flames of fire. You can picture David there. You can picture him looking into a campfire. And seeing the tongues, of if you've just ever watched the flames of fire, it's fascinating to know that the word of God can divide and hold apart. And even if it's a description of a storm and lightning, that his voice can divide even the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. And this word for shakes, it's, it's, uh, it's the language of being and labor writhing in labor, whether it's a description of an earthquake. Again, all of this, David is meditating on the power of God's word in creation and the power of God's word in his own soul. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Kadesh is important for his culture. It's going to bring up uh, the bitter waters there. And Kadesh is one of the examples. And Kadesh is where... The Jews, as God send in, sent in the spies to go and spy out the promised lands, and they come back, Caleb and Joshua, with a good report, but everybody else is afraid and trembling. That's the importance of Kadesh. It's a, it's a description of Israel's national unbelief. And the consequences of not believing God, the consequences that it had to them culturally, where God sent them back into the wilderness and everybody over the age of 20 died in the wilderness, except Caleb and Joshua, are the only two that were allowed to go into the promised land. That's the consequence of not listening to God's word. And that's what David is bringing out in the imagery. The voice of the Lord... So makes the deer give birth. That power of creation, that wonder of of birth. He strips the forest bare, and in his temple, what does everybody say in the presence of God? Glory. And again, glory is this it's this idea of what God radiates. It's the idea of heaviness its glory is the idea of uh, the opinion that we place upon someone or something God is heavy he is glorious and all those in his presence glory Again as David is meditating He's meditating on God's word, its power, and he's meditating on God's word of judgment. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sat at the flood is the language. What happened at the flood? Humanity was totally lost in its sin. To the point God's judgment said, wipe all of humanity away except eight. God sat in judgment in the power and declaration of his word at the flood. The Lord sits, present tense, constantly present, as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. And the idea of strength here, God gives you refuge and protection. The Lord will bless. He will favor his people with peace. One more. Turn back to Psalm 19. Again, we sat in Psalm 29 to to pour out the idea of the seven thunders uttering their voice, all a description of God's word booming. Psalm 19 Another moment in David's life where he is spending time with the Lord. The Lord is moving upon his heart and his pen and his lyrics, and this is what he pours out. The heavens declare the glory of God. Literally, the heavens are a written record of God's glory. The firmament, this is a part of God's creation that you see in Genesis 1 where God separated the waters above from the waters below and the space in between is called the firmament. It's this expanse. The firmament shows his handiwork, the work of his hands. Again, when you look at the heavens, they speak to you. When you you just look up into the night sky, they are declaring to you, showing to you, informing you, explaining to you His handiwork. Day and today utters, literally gushes speech. It's it's giving us news and information about the Creator. Night and tonight reveals knowledge, makes known understanding. There, this I love this. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard doesn't matter what your mother tongue is. When any human soul looks up at the heavens, when any human soul really just sits and examines creation, the creation speaks to you about the creator. Their line, their sound has gone out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them, he has set a, a tabernacle or a tent for the sun. The sun—it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Again, this is lots of cultural imagery and how how a bridegroom would be adorned in his day, coming out of the bride chamber to get the bride. The sun is like a bridegroom, and all this glory, all this radiance, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising from the east, is from one end of heaven, and its circuit is to the other end. Sets in the west and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, David's meditating in regards to the heavens as he is on his back staring up into the heavens as a shepherd. He's out there in the heat of the day watching the circuit of the sun, knowing that he can't hide from its heat out there in the wilderness. And he takes this imagery to convey to us God's word. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Listen, listen to this. He's going he's to use all different synonyms to describe God's word. When we talk about the law, this is the word Torah. The emphasis of the word Torah is on instruction. So the instruction of the Lord, the instruction of Yahweh, it's perfect. The instructions in here are complete. Everything that you need to know about God and to follow him is in this document. There is nothing missing from it. You may have a bunch of curiosities. You may have a bunch of questions that you want God to answer. He has given you everything that is needed. It is finished. It is complete. It is perfect. And what does it do? It converts the soul. It restores us. It turns us back to him constantly. Does your mind go wayward? Does your life go wayward? As we tune into this, the Lord constantly is keeping us in this process of restoration. The New Testament uses the word sanctification. We are continually being set apart to His holiness, waiting for that ultimate day of completion when we wake up in all of His glory and grandeur. The testimony, the emphasis of testimony is upon the witness. So you picture a courtroom. And the imagery that we have in regards to the word of God, you put God and his word in the witness box. And at different times in your life, you're going to be in different positions in the courtroom. Sometimes you want to be judge. Sometimes you want to be jury. Sometimes you want to be prosecutor. Sometimes you want to be the defending attorney. Sometimes you're the defendant. But here, when it comes to the testimony of God's word, you put God in the witness box. And when God gives testimony, when he gives witness, what does his word tell us? The testimony of the Lord is sure, which means it's faithful. Which means if you're trying to sit as God's judge, if you're trying to sit as jury, as you're trying to sit as prosecutor or defender, when you listen to the witness of God's word, it is always faithful it is always sure giving i can't even read that what does that say i've too many notes it says wise to the simple was it making wise the simple the simple Are anybody in the room young <laughs> the emphasis on the word simple here it's to be naive you can't know what you don't know i'm 45 There's a whole bunch of life that my parents have lived, that there's things that I can't know just because I haven't lived through that life experience yet. The Word of God takes us who are naive and ignorant to things and gives us the information that's necessary to cause us to grow up, to be mature, to be fulfilled, to be complete is the language. The statutes of the Lord. When it comes to a statute, the emphasis is upon the procedure Order, structure. Does God have order and structure in your life? Absolutely. Does he have order and structure in his creation? Yes. In household, in church, in government, in roles, there's all kinds of structure. And when it comes to his word, he provides to us the order that he desires in our life. The statutes of the Lord, they are right. And literally, it means that they're straight. God's word will always lead you straight. When you wander, when you drift, that's you. His word will always faithfully lead you in the order that he needs you to go for his plans and purposes in your life. The statutes of the Lord, they are right, they are straight, and they cause us to rejoice when we hear in him, when he gives us the next step. The commandment, the emphasis on commandment is, this is your, the duty... Um, this is your right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And the word pure here, it's uh, the idea of empty. There's nothing in it that's corruptible. It's, it's, it's pure. It's, uh, it's empty of any corrupting factors is, is the idea. Commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening our eyes. The fear of the Lord... Is clean, and again, this is the this is a fear can be positive or negative. We're going to have a couple more words that help convey this idea. But fear towards the Lord is always a positive attribute and a positive characteristic, and the idea really uh, uh, stands on respect and reverence for who God is and for His Word. The fear of the Lord is clean, standing, enduring forever. The judgments, and this is, uh, when, when it's uh, judgment, this is the decisions of the Lord are trustworthy, they are true, they are righteous, they are right, all together, means at the same time. So li- listen to this. And this is, this is something that we have to own in faith. Every single decision of God is always, at the same time, true and righteous. Amen? Does it feel that way? Why, God? Have you ever asked God why? Decisions that God has made in your life, have you ever kicked against them and wanted to say you're wrong? Every decision of god is true it is trustworthy it is righteous it is right always at the same time and again this is describing god's character as he is spoken in his word from genesis to revelation every single decision of god is all together at the same time right and true and trustworthy moreover ah sorry i skipped verse 10 more to be desired are they than gold yea, than much fine gold sweeter than honey and the honeycomb dripping honey This is the idea of like the uh, the double meaning of words where fear can be negative and positive. Desire can be negative or positive too. You can lust and desire for things that are contrary to God's word and that is evil. And yet you can have desires. It's the same word. You can have lusts and desires that are associated with the Lord that are good and positive. But listen to what's being said. So gold, so here David is a shepherd. What's gonna change his life? You think a bag of gold would change David's life as he's a little shepherd boy out there? Would a bag of gold change your life? Give you some different options? Do all of us usually desire more? We desire something that we lack? There's there's all different kinds of things that we desire, good and bad. Many things, there's, there's no moral value associated with it. The issue becomes the condition of the heart and the reason why we are desiring something. But you can desire not to be alone. You can desire a friendship. You can desire wealth. You can desire all kinds of things that are good in your life. That God would direct you to have a a godly desire for. In regards to God's word, what is he telling you? May your desire for the word of God to know it and understand it be exalted higher than any other desire that you have in your life. How about this? How many of you desire an extra hour of sleep every day? Ever heard of you having victory over the blanket? It's my daily challenge. The alarm comes up and good God, it's morning. Right? Or you could say, good God, it's morning, yay. I mean, seriously, sometimes there's, there's a sacrifice associated with spending time in this and often we'll desire something else as great as a greater need in our life than sitting down and listening to the still small silent or booming voice of god the exhortation that david is giving us from 3000 years ago generation after generation is let your desire for the word of god be higher than any other desire of your life because of all the other description that has been given Moreover, by them, by His law, testimony, statutes, commandments, the fear of God, His judgments, your servants, I'm warned, I'm cautioned, I'm admonished. In keeping these things and attending and watching and guarding, there is great reward. And this idea of reward, it's, it's the end. It's, it's the result. You have a great end. Result for all eternity in the presence of God, as you esteem the Word of God in your life, as you attend to Him, as you guard. Again, this uh, just this description of your relationship with your Creator. Who can understand His heirs, all your ignorant sins? Lord, cleanse me, keep me, in this is keep me unpunished from my secret faults withhold me, keep me back, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And the idea of uh, being presumptuous, it's being insolent, it's being rude to God. So the fear of God is this idea that you revere and you respect God. To be insolent is to be rude and just disrespectful to God, be uncaring, flippant with your mouth, flippant with your mind, your heart, your attitude, your life. Let them Let sin not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent. I shall be unpunished in great transgressions or crimes. Worship team, come on up. Verse 14. And sit with David in the flow of this. Shepherd boy, looking at the creation, meditating on it writing down the description of what he sees about God in creation. Taking that imagery and di- making all these incla- incredible declarations about the word of God and God's word and God's power in his own life and in his soul. Lord, as I attend to you, you will keep me to be in the image that you created me to be, which is yours. And now it's this, it's this cry to God, it's this prayer to God. Let's the words of my mouth. You just talked about the words of God's mouth, right? So let those be in sync. Let those be in line. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the idea of meditation, it's, your, it's your, how you murmur to yourself. For the last hour that I've been speaking, you have been murmuring to yourself in your mind and heart. As you were getting ready this morning and nobody else was around, you were murmuring to yourself different thoughts. Some of those thoughts, you were murmuring to yourself all about God, and that murmuring was pleasing to him because he knows the secret things. Others in you, you were sitting there murmuring in your heart, and it was about desires that have nothing to do with God. You were murmuring about people. You were murmuring about culture. You were murmuring about your desires. That's meditation. Let the murmuring, the chatter of what you got going on in your mind. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, be pleasing in your sight, in your face. Oh Lord, my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. You are my savior. You are my avenger. You are the one who has reclaimed me. And if we had time, I'd go through one more psalm, which we don't. And it's 50 verse psalm, but Psalm 18 conveys the exact same ideas of Revelation 10 and the other two psalms that we just read through. But we're gonna end on this last verse as a declaration for all of us as we turn our hearts to communion, we turn our hearts to worship, we turn our hearts to response to God. I will love you, O Lord. Amen.